0: Engaging Discussions about life, planning, and growing older.
1: I'm your host, Elaine, and with me is my co-host, Robert.
0: Well, hello there. Hello. So, what are we talking about this time?
1: We're going to talk about games. Oh, right on. Like older gamers. Cool. Who are they?
0: All right, and today we have a guest with us, and our guest is T.L. Taylor. Would you like to tell us a little about yourself?
2: Sure thing. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation. In part because I am also one of those older gamers yeah. <laughs> at this point. Um, so uh, my name is TL. I'm a professor at MIT. I'm a sociologist, and I've been studying internet and gaming communities for a number of decades now, across a wide variety of topics. But I I remember sort of stumbling across this topic in particular. Sometime in the last year when I saw the AARP had released a survey of gamers and I thought, huh, (laughs) fascinating. (laughs) So I was was really excited when we when we started chatting a little bit about this.
0: No doubt. And and I guess maybe we can just kind of go around the table here and talk about our own experiences. You know, might be board games or video games or whatever, you know, new future thing is happening. How about you, Elaine?
1: I would never have called myself a gamer, ever, until we started talking about this topic. I shy away from combat-type games or competitive games. And I think our D&D games, you kind of got me into D&D yeah. a number of years ago, and they're cooper- it was cooperative or it was kind of a... Uh, Together, Right. Kind kind of a group storytelling experience. And I still wouldn't have called myself a gamer.
0: So what changed?
1: We started talking about it. You called me a gamer once I started playing Animal Crossing. Right.
0: Yeah. And you've played Animal Crossing just about as much as I think anyone can, (laughs) right?
1: (laughs) Probably.
2: We may need to compare ours, Elaine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't tell that to people easily. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and, you know, no shame. I mean, you're not just playing video games like we've as you mentioned, we've played Dungeons and Dragons quite a bit. And you are like one of the best Dungeons and Dragons players I've ever really encountered because you get wholly into the character, you know, because some people play Dungeons and Dragons just kind of as a, a bunch of like paper and books and dice game, which can be fun, you know, you and kill some hours that way. But you created a character that you really kind of like entered into. She was me. Yeah. And, and it really gave the story a lot more meaning because in the past when I played this game with people, the things that we would imagine are like, we're going to go fight some orcs and find some treasure and maybe a magic thing. And it was hard to engage the kind of like, you know, teenage male group that I played with quite a bit in any sort of, like, bigger picture story arcs or, like, a political intrigue or, you know, anything like that. And it's been just completely different playing with you because you're just, like, so deeply engaged with the story and helping to form the story.
1: Well, I mean, you brought me into D&D with handing me, like, figure out your backstory. Let's draw a picture. I started a journal for her, you know, so... The inspiration came from you. Yeah, no doubt.
0: So you've got that in your pocket, and then we've also played uh, this game called Fall of Avalon, which is a tabletop game that has a map, it's got miniatures, it's got cards and dice and books, and it's a super gritty, like, dark world where you're just, like, we have been basically losing this game for about two years, (laughs) you know, just trying to, like, slog our way through the story because the story is very good.
1: I I think in our discussions, a thing that came up that I hadn't really thought about before, but we played a lot of games with the kids and with their grandkids. That's true. And one of the games that we play is actually a combat competitive game called Tekken.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have played quite a bit of that. I
1: actually really enjoy that because I can actually beat you at that. Yeah,
0: you're extremely good at playing that. (laughs) I'll just jump in here for a minute and talk about my background in gaming because it does involve coin-operated video games like that. Um, I had first started playing games like playing Pong in like 1973. Um, And then from there, once games like Space Invaders and Asteroids and Pac-Man came out, I really got into that world of playing the coin-op games and especially in the kind of communities that would surround it because... At first when I saw these games, they were just like in a bowling alley and I was going like with my parents, they were in a league and I would just go look at the video games. But then shortly thereafter, video arcades that were like a standalone kind of like little store that was full of coin operated games began to pop up and you would go in there and you could play the games and be with people your own age And then also kind of you'd kind of notice like who was really good at the games and you'd start to like watch them and maybe get to know them and like get them to talk to you a little bit. And I received so many incredible tips from people that would, you know, they would benefit me as a player because at that time, like the economy of gaming was based around quarters. So you're paying 25 cents to play a game that you might play for four or five minutes, you know, if you're good at it. And getting those tips and, like, building community with people would allow you to, like, survive a little longer and get, like, more out of your money. I was really trying to get the most for my entertainment, and I really enjoyed the, the video games so much because this was before computers were in the home. And, and I guess I'll just kind of wrap this up and say I went through the Apple IIe world And then got into the PC gaming world, and that kind of led me into the career that I ended up in, which had a lot to do with, like, drawing CAD stuff in AutoCAD, because it was that same idea of using the computer to do something, which was super exciting for me.
2: I feel uh, threads of my own history with games in both of your stories. One, Elaine, when you say you never thought of yourself or called yourself a gamer that's not just deeply resonant with me and that being my own experience but i will tell you like in the research that is like one through line for women is women are often playing way more than lots of folks but they don't use that tag for themselves oh, right. that identity marker in the same way and i sure didn't i didn't i mean our family had board games so i played board games growing up but you know the not not our current renaissance of board games you know life and monopoly and battleship and all those yep. And we didn't have computers in our home, so really the only computational games I had any real experience with before I got to grad school was in the arcade. And and honestly, there was an arcade in the mall in the town I grew up, but that place was always a little, I'd go there, but it was always a little scary to me. And there's a really nice, um, there's a really great scholar who talks about kind of arcades as gendered spaces, and I think now having that language, feeling that. So the arcade machines I played were at the pizza place by our house. <laughs> and that's where I, I fell in love uh, with, with those. And then had a long period where I didn't play any games. And it was really only when I sort of got online and then eventually in grad school, got my own computer for the first time in the 90s that I started buying CD-ROMs with games. Or, you know, they'd have the discs that would have like a hundred games with, you know, five levels.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> and I would just play those endlessly.
1: We, we were reminiscing about Zork last night.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was funny because before I had a computer in my house, I had a job. A year between undergrad and grad, I had a job where for some unknown reason, there was a modem attached to my work computer. This was in 1980, no, 1990, I guess. And somehow, I don't know how, I learned about bulletin boards, BBSs, and those had games, yeah. right? Like text. And that was kind of, I, I mean, the amount of time I spent at work on BBSs is sort of amazing in retrospect. But now, now, are we gonna pull back the curtain a little bit here and disclose that Robert, you and I have known each other for a long time. Oh, that's Go fun. ahead. And in (laughs) fact, I will say, one of my only experiences with D&D until I became a professor was one time where you were playing with, I don't know if his name is right, Mark, I want to say. Oh, yeah. And I remember feeling so, I don't think I was playing. I was present. (laughs) It was a very gendered interaction. And I remember thinking this was incredibly confusing. I remember a book and papers and lots of very complex. It was intriguing, though. I will say I was intrigued, but it felt like another world in
1: some sense. My experience from back probably around that same time was that one famous movie that came out about D&D and the college kids.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Kind of losing his mind and stuff. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: It was certainly very stigmatized. Yeah. I was just thinking about how. You know, probably, I mean, I played I played games on my Mac when I was in grad school, but the the first game that I would say deeply hooked me and really brought me into a genre was an early MMO massively multiplayer game called EverQuest. Oh yeah. And EverQuest was still, even though it was a video game and it was online and it was multiplayer, so it had all those aspects, it was still connected to the old tabletop RPG tradition, like your character could be encumbered and right. like would move. So like it did have these D and D ish legacy things in it. Um, but there was something about that system where to be frank, I mean, so much of the mechanics were handled by the system. I didn't have to, Keep track of character points and various, but you had, you had points you had to assign to things. I mean, it was steeped in charisma and intellect and all of that stuff. So it was a kind of an interesting bridge between that old tabletop world and then video games.
0: You know, it's really interesting to talk about like some of these games as they've come forward through time and technology and to look at how the communities kind of came forward with that. Because we're really like, I think at this point, I I guess I'll say two things. One is that our world is kind of like plagued by social media and all of its negative effects. But on the other hand, we are like in this incredible renaissance of online communities that surround games and allow people to communicate and share and compete in ways that I don't think I could have imagined when I first started playing online.
2: It's a good point, too, because I also think about, I don't know about you all, when I was a kid, so we had board games in the house, but I, I certainly also have memories of my aunts and uncles playing games, whether it was card games or Rook or whatever, you know, again, board games they had around. And I do think it's interesting how we are back at a moment where, older folks, just maybe, you know, pulling us even back to this thread, like that idea of adults playing is kind of back in the mix. It's not, we're not playing bridge. You know, there's not like 20 of us in a room around right. card tables anymore, but it is still this thread of adults playing. It's just, we're playing with objects that have historically been seen as for kids. And that's the provocation. I think.
1: When you say an older person, like that could be, somebody who's in their 50s, 60s, right, versus somebody who's 80 or 90. Yeah, yeah. And I think that as people, um, I'm going to pick on Robert here, sure. as people his age start moving <laughs> forward, like you grew up with video games, yeah. right? And so pe- somebody who's 80 right now didn't have video games. Yeah. So I think there's like, as the population ages, Older gamers will be considered differently.
2: Yeah, I think you're hitting on an interesting point too, Elaine. It was funny because in preparation for today, I was just re-looking back at some of the different research articles I'd seen about older, older gamers. I'm doing air quotes. And it's interesting because, of course, one of the things that people are often wrestling with is like, well, what are the old, what are those older people playing? And I think this is one case where Aside the issue of reflexes, I think we're going to see a lot more malleability and change on that. So, you know, an eighty-year-old, the game they may be playing, may have some reference to something they were playing offline already. So, crossword, word matches, word game, like all kinds of things. But you know, as folks like folks like Robert, who've had (laughs) games their whole life, um, the genre of games that that they're going to be playing, I think are probably going to look, it's going to be a broader swath perhaps. So I just, I think it's a great point about like old, there's a lot of heterogeneity in that category. right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, as someone who's been playing like video games quite a bit throughout my life, when games went online and the ability to play directly against other people came to be a thing, I was playing games like Quake and Doom and, you know, stuff online against people who at that time were my age and I could compete really well. And as I've gotten older, I mean, like I'm like in my mid 50s now. And when I go to play an online game that involves reflexes, I really have to bring it, you know, to play (laughs) against someone who is like 16 year old full of monster energy drink or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and they are just able to, like, do this incredible stuff. And, I mean, the the most recent time that this came to mind for me was uh, I tried to play Super Smash Brothers. And, like, I had one of my younger friends, like, kind of train me up for a couple of days in this thing. And then yeah. I went to play it online and, like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, the round exactly. starts and I am just, like, frozen in place trying yeah. to figure out like oh my gosh <laughs> this person is like flying all over the screen doing <laughs> exactly. all this exactly. stuff and like using commands i've never seen before yeah and, yeah you know, It and it is well
2: it's i yeah it's a great because i i do think one of the mistakes sometimes that gets made it happens around gender too is there's sometimes these it's almost like the a quest for the essentialized taste like what do women like what do older people sure. like and i ne- i never i don't think that's the right question i think probably what you're pointing to is maybe we'll get to a time where i'm thinking about like marathons or triathlons have different like um eight like you're competing against people your age. Um, Maybe we'll end up with something similar where it's not that older people don't like reaction games. They just don't like competing against 16 year olds (laughs) in reaction games. Yeah, that's
0: true. You know, (laughs) Elaine and I used to play this coin operated game at the arcade called Hydro Thunder and Hydro Thunder does. It's like a, a game where you're racing boats against each other, like going down the river and, One of the things that it does is it kind of equalizes the players. Like if Mm. somebody starts to fall behind, it will, without saying anything, make their boat faster so that you can stay competitively together
1: i appreciated that it was that's cool i wasn't that good at hydro thunder and you would really
0: have to like fall if you fell like far enough behind it would finally just like reset you back up into like a restart but for the most part it would kind of hide that from you and it was really nice because it would just it would make it so much more competitive and you could just do kind of a casual engagement and have fun
1: it was fun for somebody who wasn't that good at it.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah.
1: It, it made it, uh, instead yeah. of walking away, it made me keep playing.
2: Exactly. Right that's a fan, That's a really smart mechanic. That's really cool.
0: So we've talked a lot about the games that we've played individually and with the groups. But the question comes to mind, like, why do this as an older person? Like, why do I want to stay involved in gaming? What What am I getting out of this?
1: As I uh, finished up my last um, program class in school, it was a, a psychology class on the aging brain, and our last section was on how to age healthy. And the concept of playing games and as an older person came up, and what does that bring to the older person? And you hit on some of it before, I think, on reaction time. So you're learning Smash Brothers, maybe help quicken up your reaction time. Um, But I think spatial memory is a big one too.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: And I've read some articles, um, here I had pulled one up, um, talking about how adults playing video games can help protect against dementia and keep your brain active.
0: It's interesting that you bring up the the spatial learning part because when I think back to some of my experiences with uh, my grandma Olson, who I was very close to, she would take me around town, you know, when I was small and she was still an older person at that time. And she would get into situations where we might go into a store where she hadn't gone to, you know, as much as her normal store. And it would be really confusing for her. Like, I don't know where anything is in here. You know, do, do I? Maybe I should just go back to my regular store because she didn't really have a lot of that, like, opportunity to do a lot of spatial learning. Where in the way that with like a, a video game, you can go into all kinds of different maps and environments. And think of like Animal Crossing, like, when you get in there, at first, you're using the map to get around. And then as you play it longer, you start to, like, develop an idea like, oh, that's that river. Hey, there's a bridge there. This part's the beach. And and those kind of things can be really valuable to to keep exercising in your mind.
2: It's, it's interesting as you're talking. I, I hadn't thought of this before. You know, there's the kind of... Um the functional side of it, like it's valuable or it's producing something. But I'm also thinking about the pleasures of mobility in games. I I remember one of the things I love, still love about MMOs is the ability to move through a world and, and be in a space and have a sense of worldness and presence in a space. And before I did games research, I did work on embodiment in virtual worlds. So people who spent a lot of time in virtual worlds with avatars And I remember interviewing um, somebody who was pretty severely disabled. Um, They had really bad arthritis and had very limited movement. And they talked about the feeling, the kind of feeling of presence of movement in the virtual world that was really satisfying. And then they would talk about how then when they were outside of the world and walking through the mall, being reminded of that feeling of ease. And as we're speaking now, I hadn't put together, but thinking about how the pleasures of mobility, not just like, you know, learning, I I know the learning and the training is, but the pleasures of that, uh, th- that might be interesting to think about as you as you lose that in life in some sense. That is very
1: cool.
0: Man, that yeah. has that a lot to consider too, because when I think about my grandma, as she got older and older, she would stop doing things that were more difficult for her to do, you know, where she wouldn't have as much mobility. And it finally got to a point where Elaine and I just, like, offered to her, like, hey, how about if we take you on a trip and we will help you get around and do things so she, so she could do things like sit on a beach by the water, Or all of these things that had kind of drifted away as part of her life. But I could see how in the virtual world or in video games, you're able to do those experiences. Because even for me, like the reason I play, and I guess I do play a lot of video games by any (laughs) measure, um, is because I am able to have experiences and encounter environments I wouldn't necessarily be able to and I'm gonna just talk about like a really one that seems simple to me I have a virtual pinball table and The reason I have it is because I love pinball games. It's really fun and The difficulty of pinball is that if you own a pinball table like a real one It has one game It is one game and it is a giant machine that's in your house And that is just not like super practical (laughs) So I have this virtual one that allows me to, I I think I basically have about 400 tables on it. And it's just fantastic because I can engage all of these different tables, play all of these different games. And then also there's like a social aspect where there are tournaments that I can play in. And like I'm Mm -hmm. in one right now that I've been in for months. And it's great because they kind of put you with people who are in your band of success And you can compete against people who are maybe just a little better than you. So you have like something to reach for and you can actually like succeed and get that like positive, you know, reaffirmation. Like, yes, I can. I can figure this out and practice and get better.
2: Yeah, I think that that social aspect is such a huge part, not just for older gamers, but but including older gamers. So you know, it was funny, this AARP study, you know, I, I always take kind of non-academic studies. I hold them lightly in terms of their truths because sometimes the methods are weird. And But anyway, just as kind of kernels to think about, I was struck by, I think I had jotted it down. I'm looking at my note. What did they say? One in three play online games with other adults. So these are adults over 50. One in three play online games with other adults half of those are not family or offline friends. So playing with strangers online, which I've always thought is one of the coolest things about like broadening your social network. So I do love that thing about, yeah, that the power of connection with others, whether it's strangers or family or friends cross, and we haven't even talked about cross-generational play, which you all hinted at playing with your kids. I, That's long been, I think a powerful um, pull of gaming.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I, I think of the times that we've played Animal Crossing, and like, I, let me start again. The way that we started playing Animal Crossing was that our daughters were playing it with each other, and they had been playing for quite a while, a couple of years. And then they kind of started to show Elaine some of it. and
1: Yeah, they just told me how great it was. Yeah, and so
0: you jumped <laughs> in there. I and, said, Robert,
1: buy me a Switch. <laughs> Yep.
0: <laughs> so you jumped in there, and the first time I got to see like the three of you get together on one of your islands,
1: looking for stars, right? Yeah. Shooting stars. Oh, I love. Yeah,
0: that's what hooked that's, me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I lo- I love that example, Lane, because I was actually thinking too, when we're talking about space. I think it's very easy for people to think like, oh, it's the really high res graphics. You're in another world. You have a head mount on. That I think that experience of space is really profound and beautiful in Animal Crossing. It's aesthetic pleasure of, I love. I, I'm a big stargazer offline. <laughs> I have a telescope and, and I love it in the game as well.
1: That, the northern the kind lights. of quiet. The yeah, the, the northern, northern lights. lights. When I first started, there was a bunch of northern lights. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Animal Crossing, I think, is it's such an interesting title, I like too, I think the way you can have that synchronous social play, like you're with your kids or whatever, real time. But then there's also that asynchronous sociality where like you see their home or they send you mail or there's the, the things left for you. I, It's it's just, it has that lovely complexity, I think. there's There's lots of different ways to play it. I think that's one of the reasons it's so compelling.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because there really are Like you can do things like leave something on some, like you could go visit someone's island and maybe you'd be running around together in view of each other, but maybe the person, the other person might run off for a minute and you can just like leave something over here for them later. Yeah. And that, that kind of thing is. Leave
1: a note on their little bulletin board. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: So uh, around this topic, I guess I'm just curious to explore the, participation that you've had in the Twitch community. Would you like to talk about that? A bit?
2: Yeah. So I, I, my last book was on Twitch and it, it really, it, it came out of just sort of seeing, seeing this new website arise and me trying to understand like what's going on there. That's how most of my projects are like, what's happening there? Like wh- why are people streaming their play? Why are people watching? It is interesting when I was looking up, again, the, in the AARP report. When I look at the AARP report, most of the things they say about why older people play or how they play or what they're playing on, it's all really resonant with how people play. I I, I think it shows that there's not a huge set of distinctions, except there's one. One is the, re- so the reactivity, that's one area. The other one is, it seems as if older gamers are less attuned to watching people play. I think they had like two out of 10. So much smaller numbers Mm. of older gamers are watching people play, which surprises me because you know, the pleasures of watching people play those date back to the earliest days of gaming right standing around at the arcade Robert the thing you were even talking about <laughs> or sitting on the sofa with someone so I think in some ways Twitch taps into something that's always been there the joy of of watching people play whether it's experts or your friends the people streaming play is probably the more complex thing like what does it mean to actually take this thing that was very personal and it's off in your bedroom your home and and broadcast it but it fits with changes in content production on the internet generally and you know I, I i think of it as transforming our private play into public entertainment and that's something kind of of the moment as well um i don't do you do you all watch twitch or youtube or do you watch others play at all
1: with regards to twitch and youtube we've watched some animal crossing yeah and a few other gamers
0: i'm kind of like our our YouTube curator for our family, I guess. I, yeah, I try to like bring you content because I don't know that you really spend a lot of time like browsing around YouTube looking for stuff to watch. And I, I guess, don't need to. You bring it to me. <laughs> I guess I do. And I've just gotten to know you really well and understand like what kinds of things you want to see. And now that you're more interested in Animal Crossing and gaming to a larger extent. I've tried to bring you that kind of content to see.
1: We've watched some D&D on YouTube as well.
0: Oh, that's true. We were watching Critical Role for quite a while that one particular season. Some of the things I really like to watch on both Twitch and YouTube are artists who are creating art, you know, like they might be working either with traditional media, like with a camera pointed at it, or in digital where they're just like directly streaming their computer or their tablet.
1: We hired somebody and watched them draw some of our D and D characters. Oh
0: yeah. For that commission.
1: Yeah. That was, that was super cool. I don't know anyone our age who watches this kind of content or at least talks about watching this kind of content.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I won't be surprised if, if we see the numbers of older folks, watching stuff on their go up i suspect it's it's as with a lot of these things it's just this kind of growth trend a little bit over time and gaming has become a mainstream leisure activity so you know it, it wouldn't surprise me if if but but it was one of the interesting differences i noticed in kind of demographic differences between older so dogs. i've
1: often wondered um like if we ever end up in a nursing home right <laughs> which isn't something I want. But if we did, like, what's it going to be like by the time we're old enough to be in? Like, are we all going to be sitting there with our games and stuff instead of watching (laughs) the black and white? You know, everyone's in the room watching the black and white video. We're all, like, playing games now.
0: What I can tell. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. No,
2: no, I was just going to say my husband is convinced that having a gaming-focused nursing home retirement facility is, is the next, if, if we were smart, we would probably all be developing in this and investing in it. But of course, yeah. I mean, he would be thrilled if he could have fellow board gamers at the ready at all hours. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, absolutely,
0: you know, I went back to school a few years ago for uh, sign language and part of that program was to go, To I won't say it's like a a nursing home, but more like an assisted living facility and got to hang around with a bunch of people who were in there. And I noticed that they all pretty much carried like their phone or their iPad all the time and were constantly playing like mobile games or communicating with each other. So I think we're already bridging into that. And I mean, these are people who I would estimate were probably in their like 80s who I worked with there, and they were pretty engaged. And, you know, like if you look a couple episodes back when we uh, looked at the grand pad, like to me, the longer I think about that, the more it seems like that is really focused on like that, that 85, 95 band of older people who, like you said, TL are like playing an analog of a physical game, that they used to play like some kind of cards or checkers or Parcheesi or whatever. Yeah. See? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's such a good, I'm so glad you mentioned the phones and tablets that, because I do, you know, when we think about the growth of gaming broadly, you know, the fact that it's not just on PCs and laptops, which have a certain kind of price barrier, physical constraints, you know, whether you have your internet hooked up to your PC, Consoles also have a much limited reach. I think that, you know, phones, tablets, mobile devices, those have exploded the possibilities for more and more diverse gamers to come in, including including older folks. I mean, and too, you know, I think about maybe you all are the same too. Well, you know, my phone, I can set the size of the text, and, you know, oh, like sure. the customizability <laughs> to attend to, um, those things is important and probably is going to become, I would imagine, I hope game developers become more attuned to those kinds of things. Yeah.
0: And you know, that is such a good point because this, I think this came up in our grandpad episode where on my iPhone, I set the text to the biggest size that it can be because <laughs> sometimes I don't have my glasses with me and I have to yes. look at this thing. But I've found <laughs> that in certain applications or games, that text size will break the UI. Yeah. And yeah. The, I just noticed it with, uh, I use Discord quite a bit. And yeah. on my phone, like the the big text, like just breaks the Discord menu and you have to kind of like figure out what what part of it you want to be in. And then yeah. on the other hand, like Discord also doesn't, it doesn't make the main chat use the bigger text. So right, it, it's just yeah. like the worst of both worlds.
2: No. Well, hopefully it's funny because I don't know. You You all have probably seen in the last, I don't know, I want to say five years, the game industry has, it's like game accessibility writ large has gotten on their radar more. And, you know, they. they there's this really uh, Xbox, Microsoft put out this alternative um, input device for otherly abled bodies. And I'm hoping and wondering and fingers crossed that that awareness of accessibility will extend to thinking about, you know, what does accessibility look like across the life cycle or across different, I don't know, even sort of cognitive capacity. There's all kinds of ways we could think about, hopefully that conversation is an expansive one going forward.
0: Yeah. Because people who are gaming now are going to probably continue gaming, you know, like you're you're currently, like if you're looking at the center of the target of who games in our society, that person is not going to stop now, you know, in the yeah. in the way that maybe some previous groups had.
1: You're 30 years old now. Stop playing games.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm too old exactly. for
2: that. I hate to be touting this AARP report, but I will tell you the one other little tidbit that caught my eye in it, and I just made a note here, so I say one of the tidbits was gamers 50 and older spend... $3.5 billion, spent $3.5 billion on gaming within a six month time frame. Wow. This was in 2019. So if for no other reason <laughs> the game industry should selfishly <laughs> be thinking about these because that's a lot of money <laughs> left on the table.
1: <laughs> Another topic was Animal Crossing being used as death memorials. And I found that to be really interesting and kind of uh, leads to the connection part of playing games or Animal Crossing. So Animal Crossing New Horizons came up to be um, very popular during the pandemic when people couldn't get out. People, You can travel to each other's islands. You can connect with people. People also couldn't get to funerals. And so a lot of funerals or memorials were being held on somebody's island.
0: I think that's a really interesting way to use that environment because, like, in the way that we talked about the the power of that shared space, like, last night when I stopped over at your island and, like, picked up some stuff from you, like, we really have that, like, connectedness of being in the same place and the ability to create, like, a a memorial or something on your island for someone just seems like it follows naturally.
2: I think it's a beautiful example of not just the I don't want to say the power game it's a beautiful example of the complexity of gaming and how people I think people fill up gaming worlds with life (laughs) and part of life is also memorializing and death and passing and MMOs have a long history of people holding in-game funerals for guildmates who maybe they have or haven't met them but have passed Um, yeah and I think Animal Crossing especially over COVID was it it was really just such a powerful space for so many people to deal with stress and loss and distance and as you say death and I think it's a really important thing for whenever anybody sort of wants to trivialize games I sort of feel like oh you actually don't understand the richness. I mean, gaming is fun and it's joyful and, you know, it has pain and suffering, but it also has these really complex social experiences, too. I will say, too, for Animal Crossing, for myself, there's a twist on this, which is I remember the f- I, the first Animal Crossing I played was on the GameCube. Now I may be forgetting which which of the versions did this first, but at some point you start getting letters from your mom. the game my mom died when i was young 12 and a half and i remember the first time that happened it was so disarming but powerful it was a really evocative moment and it's come to be something i've i i expect now in the game and i know it's gonna happen and it always hits me in this really interesting way and i think you know, whether it's the game working in that space or us together working over those issues, it, it, I think it does tell us something really lovely about what gaming can be. Um, so I, I love that you, you brought that one up as, a, as an example to think about.
0: You've really made such a good connection between the, the, the psychological effect that games have on us especially when we enter into, like, the community part of it, you know. And, and, like, even there we're, like, it's such a personal thing that you can just suddenly encounter inside of a game. And also we've got, like, these group experiences of memorializing someone. It is really just more than some fun to have, you know, in a, a time kill. Yeah,
1: I, I think, okay, I mean, I'm we're still talking about Animal Crossing, but... I play it every morning and it's kind of a um a way to set my day. Every day I got to go find that bottle and I and I dig up my fossils and I plant my money tree and now the day can start. Yeah. So like the morning cup of coffee. <laughs> right, I play it <laughs> drinking my yeah. my first yeah. cup. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's such a great example of calling back to this. Games sit in our lives in so many different ways, at different moments of the day, with different kinds of relationships. And I think, again, with this theme of older gamers, they're gonna sit across our life cycle in really interesting and different ways. As you know, when I think about a life cycle, you know, your leisure time, it's wide and then it contracts and then hopefully it expands again. And so gaming will kind of ebb and flow in really different ways. And I love, I love that it can be both really kind of beautifully mundane, this thing you do in the morning. You know, for me, you know, you hit every rock, shake every, whatever it is you do, all the way to the, the really profound connections it can
1: hold in, in the death memorials and, and passing. So it's it's just, it's so such a rich space. I really appreciate you talking about your mom and how that hit you. That had never crossed my mind. That something yeah. like that yeah. could be like a profound experience for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: To, to get a letter. I mean, and of course, you know,
1: uh,
2: I don't want to say rational. It's not the right word, but adult me, you know, like I know it's a system and I know it's, a you get the same letter I get. But, if you play that game enough, you get the same letters year after year. You know, <laughs> she sends you that same mug again the next year, whatever it is. But, but again, it's, it's still, it speaks to the, that uh, emotional power that that even these strange little software things can have in our lives
0: well that's our show for this time and we've really appreciated having you here tl i hope you'll come back again
2: absolutely it's been a lot of fun to think about this so thanks for the invitation
1: what games do you play are you an older gamer will you be an older gamer email us at RethinkAgingOfficial at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at RethinkAging. Thanks for listening.